This is the University of Applied Research and Development's Emergency Response and Risk Management video and podcast. You'll meet world-class leading professionals who share their wisdom, careers, and experiences. Join us on YouTube and all quality podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, and Radio Public. Hi everyone, it's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development for our Emergency Response and Risk Management podcast. And I'm delighted to have Ashley Dalvinfor with us today from the Tidal Basin Group. She is the Director of Preparedness, Resiliency and Emergency Management. Ashley, great to see you. Great to see you. Thanks for having me on. And you have a massive storm and high winds brewing right now. We do, actually, yes. More wind than rain, but we do. <laughs> I really appreciate you being with us today. I'd love for you, to share, for you to share with our students and our listeners about your role and what you do. So my role with, so to, I'll tell you a little bit about Tidal Basin Group first, and then I'll tell you about my role. Um, Tidal Basin Group is an emergency management consulting company, and um, we support our clients, primarily it's government, um, we support our clients in every phase of emergency management or in disasters. Um, so in the beginning, you know, prior to a disaster occurring, um, our preparedness group will work with the clients. That's the group that I fall into. Um, but we also have um, we also have workers that work with mitigation. We have a very large recovery group. A lot of the recovery pieces is assisting with getting reimbursement from the American government. Uh, for just different federal assistance to support the government's um, recovery after a disaster. So that's, that's basically what we do. Um, so for myself, again, I'm Director of Preparedness, Resiliency, and Emergency Management. Um, so in that role, I lead a group that works with training, uh, a lot of emergency exercises. We do a lot of plans. We can do, um, we work with gap analysis. Uh, anything along those lines, anything we could do to help our clients be prepared for, for the inevitable. And so tell us about some of the training exercises that you do with your clients. Sure. Um, so I'll tell you about one we did recently that was really kind of fascinating. Um, in Los Angeles is a high risk for earthquakes, as I think a lot of people probably know that. All of California is. Um, but the last major earthquake they had was in 1994, which was the Northridge earthquake. Um, so the city of Los Angeles has their own water department there and their water department was concerned that a lot of, a lot of that institutional knowledge had been lost from the individuals that worked this 1994 earthquake. Um, there really hasn't been a major one that they've had to face since then. And of course, being a water department, an earthquake can, you know, do a lot of significant damage to the infrastructure. Um, so what we did is we went and we worked with them. It was a two-piece uh, two project. We had, first we had the retirees that worked back then in 1994. We invited those retirees back to share with us what actually happened. Because as many of us know, a lot of times you read plans, and plans are written with the best intention. But when you have a huge catastrophic disaster, things don't always go by plan. Uh, so that was really, really valuable. They were able to come back and we did a workshop with them and they shared with us all of their lessons learned, um, which was 
valuable to me even, even, even though I didn't work for the water department. Um, so after that, we took all of that information and we put on a training and an exercise for the individuals within the water department that would be working in those functions present day. Uh, the majority of them were the people that would be out working in the field. So they're either doing the repairs themselves or they're leading the people that are doing the repairs. Uh, so we went in, we did about an hour long workshop and then followed that up with a tabletop exercise. And the feedback we got on it was that it was very valuable. That was great. We got, we got really good feedback on that. And so those, um, the people that had retired and left, uh, that's really interesting about the institutional knowledge really does sit with people. So what can, what have you learned from that situation to help another department or another organization to try to capture that institutional knowledge that lies in the people? Yeah, I think first of all, um, what they did there in Los Angeles, I think was a brilliant idea. So anyone that's in that type of situation, I would absolutely encourage it again. I would advise my clients to do the same thing if they had an opportunity. Um, but sometimes there just isn't that opportunity. Maybe it's been too long or, or different reasons that may not work out. Um, so I guess the best thing to recognize is that any event that you're experiencing now, whether it's COVID, of course, we're all dealing with that, or but just you know a natural disaster or a man-made disaster, anything that you're dealing with right now, at some point, time's going to pass and the majority of the people that are working at, on this on that disaster are going to move on either they'll move to other jobs or they'll retire or or they'll go you know go along their way so i think the best we can do to really capture those lessons learned we talk about that a lot and we write after action reports and we do all of that um but to really leave a piece of what really happened um whether that's videos or doing real after action reports that actually get down into that or you know the best thing is to set um, standards and processes in place based on what actually happened and not what people think should happen um, and then have those processes carry on throughout the the generations yeah that's good hey um, tell us how you came to be with the tidal basin group and tell us a, a, a few of your experiences your pathway to get there Sure. So I will reach way back, first of all. Um, I grew up in Miami, Florida, just outside of Miami. And uh, as a teenager, we had Hurricane Andrew. So Hurricane Andrew, many people may be familiar with, but if you're not, it was a Category 5 hurricane, completely destroyed everything. In many, many areas was nothing but foundation standing. It was a tornado. Um, as a teenager, I had I'd seen tons of hurricanes. I had never seen anything like that. And it was tough to deal with. Um, but I remember seeing people come in to help. And I thought, you know what? I want to do that one day. And just kind of put it in the back of my head. And then, you know, really it didn't become a career goal at that time. But it was just interesting. I wanted to be the one coming in to help. Um, so fast forward many years later, I got involved with the American Red Cross as a volunteer, just because I wanted to do it. I never expected it to be a career path. And um, one day they offered me a part-time job and I thought, well, when I said I'm doing this, I may as well get paid for it. So they hired me part-time. That very quickly turned into a career. Um, you know, went to college, got a degree in emergency management and built a career from there. Um, throughout those years, that's been 17 years now, um, throughout those years, I was, 
fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it. I spent the majority of my career in New Orleans. Um, I was there for Katrina. I was there for many other hurricanes and floods. Uh, I was there for the Deepwater Horizon. Um, so, of course, you know, not, not necessarily the best thing because they're all tragic, you know, incidents that occurred. But for my career, I was able to get experience that I would have never gotten anywhere else. Um, incredible amount of experience. So oh, those, those are two powerful experiences. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> so from there, um, you know, I no longer live in New Orleans, but from there I've, I've really focused my career on taking the things I've learned in those big significant events and trying to support whether, whatever community that I've worked in um, from those lessons learned. Most recently, prior to coming to Tidal Basin, I worked for Denver International Airport and I was their assistant director of emergency management. And um, fortunately, we didn't have any catastrophic disasters, which was a good thing, but I, I like to feel like I was able to build their program um, from the experience that I had. And now with Tidal Basin, I, I try to do the same thing. And um, I'm really fortunate because I get to work with so many different organizations and so many different clients now, I get instead of just one location. So Ashley, can you tell us a bit more about um, Hurricane Katrina or Deep Sea Horizon? What, what were some of the responses that you were able to do? I'm assuming that was with the Red Cross. Is that right? Um, so for America or for Katrina, I was with the Red Cross. For Deepwater Horizon, I was working for FEMA. Um, but so during the Hurricane Katrina, um, our primary initial role was sheltering. Every, that was all we did was sheltering because everybody was being evacuated. Everyone needed a place to stay. So that was just number one right off the bat. Um, and sheltering way beyond our capacity, anything we could have ever imagined or tabletopped or exercised. Um, even though we did do exercises on that, the reality was just overwhelming. Um, but we did the best that we could. And, um, you know, that was when I really learned that we did hit a point that we just did what we had to do. The plan went out the window, the rules went out the window. It was just about taking care of the people. Um, not always necessarily the, the best approach, but sometimes you have to do that and the people come first. Give us an um, example specifically that, of that, how the plan went out the window and you just had to respond. So, okay, the first example that comes to my mind is there was a shelter that was open and I had a shelter manager that was running it and she said more people had arrived than what they had expected. There wasn't enough food because they hadn't planned on it. We had a lot of buses that would just show up and unload people that we never knew were coming. Um, and that's what was happening to her. And she called me and she said, you know, we just got, it was always five more buses. Every phone call was five more buses. So she just got five more buses. There wasn't enough food because we didn't know that they were coming. But a local church wanted to donate food. Well, typically the American Red Cross doesn't take food from out from outside because you you have you're liable for um, the health. You know you don't know how it's mm. been prepared. But at that point, this was the day that they were evacuating. I think it was the night of the storm or the night after. Um, and I I told her I said, "Do what you have to do. Don't get arrested." <laughs> so I told her. <laughs> <laughs> it was <laughs> again I don't always recommend that approach you know but sometimes you hit that point and um I think that's where I really learned to just 
think on my feet, you know, just, you have to just roll with it you know, and do what you have to do. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any other challenging situations when you just had to make a decision and, and do things on the spot? Oh yeah, I know there were. And now I'm on the spot and I can't think of them. I may have to come back to that one. Okay. And about Deepwater <laughs> yeah. Horizon, tell us about your role with FEMA there and what you're doing. So for Deepwater Horizon, I actually had, uh, most of my role was very kind of behind the scenes. I wasn't on the ground. I wasn't in the middle of it all. Um, FEMA played a support role for that, uh, for that response. The Coast Guard was actually in charge of it. Um, so as FEMA, we just came in to provide support um, for the Coast Guard. So I was in one of the operations center and I was working and planning. So my role with that was really um, tracking numbers, statistics, information, doing situation reports, writing incident action plans. Um, of course, I was very aware of everything going on in the field, but I was, I was supporting you know, from, from the background on that one. Okay. Interesting for our students, particularly doing our, our bachelor and master's programs, thinking about where their careers could go and, uh -huh. and understanding that their skill set can be used and the knowledge can be used in a variety of different ways. You know, yes. they, could, they could be working, like you said, in the operations center like you were doing, or they're making on-the-spot decisions about how do we feed five busloads of people. And right. that's, it's very different, isn't it? It is very different. Um, you know, I found I started my career with a lot more time on the ground, boots on the ground. And then as I've moved up, yeah, I find myself more in those um, kind of administrative roles, you know, and now as a consultant even more so. But prior to that, um, yeah, you, you do move throughout to where sometimes you are wearing the mud boots and going through the floodwaters and handing out meals. And then there's other times that you're in the background and you're doing that coordination piece which is um which is so important you have to have that coordination somebody that's there or not just somebody but a team that's there um putting all the pieces together looking ahead making plans for the next 24 48 hours so i can imagine when you're in a situation like that it's very high pressure there's a lot of things going on a lot of moving parts during the event or directly after how do you decompress that was one of the most important lessons I learned. Um, you know, sometimes we all, or most of us as in emergency management in that field or safety or anything along those lines, most of us have that type A personality. So we're always going fast, right? We're always running, running. Um, we need to address everything right now. We need to fix everything right now. I have to do it. There's always that, and we put that on ourselves. Um, you know, we put that on ourselves that we have to take care of everything right this second. One of the biggest lessons I've learned is that 99% of the time, there is nothing that can't wait 10, 15 minutes. Most of the time. Maybe, now, there may be a true, like, we need to call an evacuation right this second because something intimate is happening. But otherwise, there is nothing that can't wait 10, 15 minutes. Um, and the biggest lesson I learned is when I need it, and I feel like I'm at that point that I just need to take a breath, I would typically typically walk away somewhere. Um, every response that I've worked, I usually have a spot where I walk away where nobody knows where I'm at. Um, I will usually tell one person how to find me just in case, but I'll go walk away over there and take my 10, 15 minutes by myself. Um, usually grab a notepad because that's when 
all the things I remember that I need to address or do, I start to remember them when I get that few minutes of silence. So I can, you know, I'll spend some time writing or I may just get on my phone and look at Facebook for a few minutes. Um, but anything just to take that time out. Um, it does wonders. You work and you function so much better when you do that. Did the Red Cross or does FEMA or any organization you've worked with, do they have some sort of strategies that they train you with to help you to decompress and handle the stress of those types of situations? They do. They've gotten much better at it over the years. Um, I don't know when I first got involved um, 17 years ago that it was quite as strong. Um, now, Red Cross has always had mental health workers, and the mental health workers aren't just for um, – the people experiencing the disaster, they are also for the people working the disaster. And um, with FEMA and with any type of response group, it's not unusual to bring crisis counselors in to provide some support. Um, some places will even bring in uh, massage or acupuncture. I've seen therapy dogs, <laughs> you know, all types of things. Um, so that's definitely been around for a while. But as far as real training as like you said, how to decompress and how to kind of work on the emotional piece and um, how to process it, especially moving forward, you know, after the event when you're, you know, dealing with everything that you've worked through. I think they've come a long ways with that. It's much, much better now. Yeah. So for our students and our graduates recently graduating or people that are new to the industry or like you, maybe a teenager, they're involved in something and they think, I want, to, I want to be involved in this. I want to make this my career. What sort of advice would you give them to start strong? So get as much experience as you can and meet as many people as you can. Um, the emergency management industry is a small world. It's a small industry, and that is true no matter where you go throughout the world. Um, most of the people, or maybe not most, but a lot of the people that I work with today are people I've worked with for the past 15 years plus. Um, most of us that have been in the industry, at least in the United States for a long time, we all know each other. And um, the other countries have been around, it's the same way. The reason why is because even though it's a growing field, it's still a very specialized field. Um, so it's not like, let's say, a nurse where you may have 5,000 nurses in one city. You know, um, So I could say for all of Colorado, there's probably less than a hundred people in emergency management and that's including all of the private sector as well in government it's a lot smaller than that um so you have to break into that circle you know um going to school is very important you have to go to school you have to have that knowledge that background that degree but while you're doing that take every opportunity you can to meet people to shake hands um sit in on seminars if you can go volunteer um, anything you can do to get yourself out there and get that hands-on experience and to get yourself known. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful. I think um, most of the other um, guests we've had on the show, they've, they've mentioned volunteering. Mm -hmm. no, one's, no one's mentioned building their network, though. So that's, that's a powerful piece of advice. Thank you for that. And um, So where did you do your studies? Tell us about that. So my undergraduate degree was... Um, is in emergency management. I did that at Jacksonville State University, that's in Alabama. And then my master's degree is actually, it's, it's my master's degree is in aviation safety. Um, as I developed in my career, I decided to focus my emergency management um, a little bit more uh, streamlined, I guess. <laughs> um, so I really wanted to focus on aviation, that's a passion of mine. 
I've done a lot of work with family assistance planning, um, planning for, for uh, you know, uh, airline crashes, plan planning for events at airports, whether it's, you know, a terrorist attack or anything. Um, so for my master's, I thought, you know, aviation safety was kind of a natural fit. Um, and I did that at Florida Institute of Technology. That's in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Did you do that while you were working with Denver Airport or before or after? I did that while I was with Denver Airport. Um, I just finished about a year and a half ago, actually, 2018. Yeah, <laughs> 2018. I think that's a really great mix, Ashley, um, and, and good for everyone to keep in their minds that you can do the formal education at the same time while working and you get the opportunity to see the theory in practice and test the theory in practice, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Ashley, I really want to thank you for your time. This has been very valuable. And I hope you stay safe this evening with the, the storm. And thank you. I enjoyed it.